Mother's Day and its ramifications is an important issue. God actually compares His love to that of a mother. And if you're here today listening, it's because you had a mother who loved you enough to bring you into the world. And so because of that, we want to recognize all types of mothers. Jay mentioned this. They're spiritual mothers, those that maybe couldn't have children but influenced people, shared the gospel with them and led them to Christ. There are also different types of mothers, those who have uh, lost their mom, those who have their mother, all different circumstances when people come to Mother's Day. But whether you're an aspiring mother, that is a young lady who believes God is calling you to have a family, or you're an adoptive mother, perhaps you want children but can't have them, so you're taking one in as your own. Or whether you're an anticipating mother, that is you're expecting. Or whether you are a spiritual mother, we pray that God blesses your day. Now, I did some research this week, and this was pretty deep research. It was from second graders. Answers that second graders gave about moms. Are y'all ready for this? It's pretty technical, so hang on. Why did God make moms from second graders? Well, they said, she's the only one who knows where the scotch tape is. (laughs) God made mothers mostly to clean the house. Or third, God made mothers to help out, to help us out of there when we're getting born. Hmm. They also ask, how did God make mothers? These second graders answered, he used dirt just like for the rest of us. Another said, he used magic plus superpowers and a lot of stirring. A third said, God made my mom just the same as he made me, only he used bigger parts. (laughs) What ingredients are mothers made of? God made mothers out of clouds and angel hair and everything nice in the world, and he did add one dab of meanness. They also had to get their start from men's bones, so they're mostly held together by string, I think. And then, who is the boss at your house? This second grader answered, it has to be mom. You can tell by room inspection. She can see stuff under the bed. The other child said, I guess mom is, but only because she has a lot more to do than dad. They were also asked, if you could change one thing about your mom, what would it be? The first child said, she has this weird thing about me keeping my room clean, so I'd get rid of that. The second child said, I would make my mom smarter, that way she would always know it was my sister who did it and not me. And the final child said, I would like for her to get rid of those invisible eyes in the back of her head. A lot of wisdom we can learn from second graders, but a lot of truth. So we think about mothers, I'd like for you to just take a pause for a second and think, how did it come about? Well, as it would be, a lady from West Virginia named Ann Jarvis, yeah, woo, we got two cheers. <laughs> Ann Jarvis wanted to honor her mother, so she made a big deal out of it. There's actually a church in West Virginia now that's been made into a memorial to mark Mother's Day where you can actually go and visit, but this lady wanted to honor her mother, and word of this worked its way all the way up to the President of the United States, who in 1914 made Mother's Day an official holiday. I found it interesting that Ann Jarvis, who would be the one on your right, and her mother Ann on the left, was so appalled at the idea of commercialism on Mother's Day, 
you know, it is a $200 billion industry. She tried to stop Mother's Day, but it had already been issued as a federal day of recognition. She was appalled that it was all about the money and nobody would go and spend time with their mother. So just a little background there on why we honor mothers here in the United States. But here is what I want to share with you this morning. Once you're a mother, you're always a mother. And godly mothers are always to speak truth into the life of their children as long as they live. Now, sometimes when you read God's Word, you see things or things may become alive to you like you haven't seen them before. And that happened to me this week. I was actually going to preach out of Proverbs chapter 31, which is the virtuous woman, which no woman ever wants to hear because it's a Hebrew acrostic. It is taking the letters in, like English, from A to Z, coming up with bright spots about a woman. It's, she's not a literal woman, so ladies don't get depressed. They were just coming up with something nice to say, saying that if this lady was to be chosen, here is what the perfect ideal woman would be. She would be this. Starts with an olive, goes all the way through 22 letters of the alphabet, and ends with a T, because that's the last letter in a Hebrew alphabet, Tav. And so from A to T, here is what the picture of a perfect mother is. So I began reading that and forming my sermon, and then all of a sudden, I went back up and read Proverbs 30, verses 1 through 9, and it hit me, and I totally changed my message. And I want to read to you the first couple of lines, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. Here is a man being taught something by his mother while he's a king. Are you all hearing me? You know what the first three things she says to him are? What are you doing? What are you doing? And then emphatically, what are you doing? She gets in the king's business. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And that is not just for a little bit of literary emphasis. She is getting up in his crawl. Have you all ever had a mother like that? No matter how big you got, she wasn't afraid of you. This lady had some spunk. And when she saw her son going down the wrong road, don't you think that she was afraid of him? Back in these days, in ancient days, if someone embarrassed the king or called the king out or interrupted the king, they could be drugged to the side and killed. This mother didn't care. She saw her child getting ready to air, and she had no fear of him. She went right for the juggler. And what is it that she said to this young man? Well, we're going to read it together this morning. Are you ready? The words of King Lemuel, an oracle his mother taught him, What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Now listen to what she's telling him. She's done, she has woke him up. Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. I told you she was going for the juggler. Lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all those afflicted. You are to give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those who are in bitter distress. 
Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Wow. What a mother. You think this stuck? Oh, he remembered it all right because he recorded it and wrote it down. This dear godly mother is giving her son moral requirements for good government taught by mom. Now, by the way, Washington, D.C. would do well. Our school boards would do well. Our county governments would do very well to listen to the wisdom of this godly mother. She is going to lay it right down where it matters. You can get into all the philosophy you want to. You can get into all of the this and the that. This mom is going right straight for the heart. And she's teaching her son three valuable lessons that if you want to succeed in life, if you want to succeed in leadership, if you want to succeed in government, this is what should regulate your life. First of all, flee sexual gratification. She taught her son this lesson. Do not allow your sexual fantasy and pleasure to allure your life, to distract you, and to destroy you. Son, she tells him, get a hold of yourself. Can't you hear this? I mean, mom gets right in his business. You might say, well, how did, how, what gave her the right to do that? Well, let's go back to the text. What are you doing, my son? No matter how high you are on the throne, you are still my son. What are you doing, the son of my womb? She's reminding him, I brought you into this world, and as others have said, and I'll take you out. And notice this third phrase, What are you doing, the son of my vows? In other words, this mother is reminding this king, you were put on this earth for a purpose. Young man, the reason you're on that throne is because your mother prayed you on that throne. You are the son of my vows and I prayed for you even before you were in this world that God would take you and use you. And this is what she's saying to him, and don't you forget it. And don't you waste and squander your life Chasing after your sexual fantasy. Get a hold of yourself. Now, I told you this would be some good wisdom in the system of our world today, wouldn't it? Our world has lost its moral compass. If you hold up a compass and say what is right and what's wrong, there's no needle on the compass. You go whichever way makes you feel good. Well, this mother, she says, oh no, stop that ridiculousness. Stop Chasing your fantasies and your passions, they will destroy your life. Would to God that we had mothers today, fathers today, in the home. By the way, if we teach it in the home, and we start in the home, it really doesn't matter what happens anywhere else because they know who's right. And we launch them out into a society that has no moral compass, Mom can do a lot of good. And that's exactly what she says. Flee gratification. You know, perhaps Solomon, if he is the one who wrote this, I'm not going to get into that argument, it's for another time. 
And if this was Bathsheba, which I won't get into that argument or not, but perhaps she would know well what happens when a king gets distracted by his gratification. Because she was brought into wedlock by David, who should have been out fighting a battle, but instead was upstairs watching social media and got himself aroused. And the next thing you know, he took a woman that wasn't his and had her husband murdered. So this woman realized the danger, the danger of powerful leaders who could not control their sexual desires. And may I say, that has ruined a many a person throughout all careers and lifespans. What's mom's admonition? Get a hold of your desires. The second thing she teaches him is avoid addictive behavior. Now notice what she tells. In verses 4 through 7, it is not for kings, it is not for kings to drink wine or rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. What is she saying? Is she saying, you are to be a teetotaler? No, that's not what she's saying. People drank wine for dinner back in these days. She wasn't being radical. She was talking about him having addictive behaviors that led to intoxication, which distorted his clear thinking. And she said, it is not your job. It is not your responsibility. As a fact, you are to flee from things that make you not think clearly. Today, if a mother was giving this, she would be saying, you are to stay away from the drugs on the street. You are to stay away from the marijuana, even though it's legalized, because it does something to your brain. Anything that alters your judgment, that causes you to do things that you normally wouldn't do, you are to flee from. Those are to be given to hospice patients to put them out of their misery. This is wisdom for mom, by the way. I'm just telling you what this mother said. If you don't like it, you'll have to complain to her. Control your passions and avoid anything that would cause addiction and anything that would cause a muddling of your judgment. By the way, how many lives have been ruined by people who have not listened to this mother's advice? How many have wandered into work drunk, stoned, peeled up? How many have lost their jobs or their driver's license because they could not control their addictive behavior and they chose to drive on the road? They chose to enter into their work inebriated, high, buzzed. How many people have ruined their life because they take drugs for the first time and the next thing you know they are so addicted to them that they have to have them and they will steal they will cheat, they will lie, they will do anything that they can just to grab a hold of that next high. And this mother lived long enough to watch people ruin their life and she went right straight to her son and she said, Don't go there. Stop that. Wisdom from a godly mom. 
And then notice the third thing that she told this young man. She said, and don't forget why God put you in your place of leadership. And here's why he did it. So that you will speak up for those who have no voice. Listen to what mom said in verse 8. Open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, she says again. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Her son would be the one who would settle disputes between people who would come before him. And she knew that this man would be tempted to be persuaded by money. He would be tempted to be persuaded by power or political welding. And she told her son, I don't care how much money they have. I don't care what position they're in. I don't care how much influence they have. Don't you judge based off of their wallet. You see every person made in the image of God and from the poor all the way down to the poor, you treat them the same as you would the richest man or the most powerful man in the world. Don't you dare be prejudiced. This is what she was teaching him. And you judge them all the same. And when you have an opportunity to speak up for the one who can't speak for themselves, you better open your mouth. You know, it's interesting in Proverbs, how many times are we told, close your mouth. The one who keeps his mouth silent is wise. But here, mother comes back and says, there's a time when silence is golden and there's a time when it's yellow. And the wise person will understand which. And there are times when we must speak up. Open your mouth for those who can't defend or protect themselves. Now, I told you that Mother had a great sermon this morning, didn't I? Now, let me ask you a question. What are five lessons that you and I can learn from her? Five. Lesson number one we can learn that this mother was more concerned about the spiritual health of her child than she was his physical pleasure. How many times as parents, and thank God for good mothers here, how many times as parents do we say that the most important thing that we can do is teach our child to have a better life than we do? May they have a better home, a better job, a better career. Let me tell you what this mom would have said. Ridiculous. She would have said, I don't care if God put this child where he had all kinds of money or no money. The most important thing in this young man's life is his spiritual life because out of the heart flows the issues of life. If God gets his heart, God will have everything else about him. And this mother knew that she was needed to pour into the spiritual life of her child. And I believe that she taught him that the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. And she taught him, Son, if you're going to fear anybody in this earth, you fear God. Because one day you're going to stand before Him and you're going to give an account of your life. And if you are not righteous in His eyes, not by your moral behavior, but if you're not righteous in His eyes because you have by faith put your faith and trust in His Word to save you from your, soul, your sin, then it doesn't matter how successful you are here, you will never be in the afterlife. And so this mother taught him, probably from a child, 
if we put it in our terms today, you are a sinner, honey. The reason you disobey mommy and daddy is because it's down inside your heart. It's in you. You sin because you're a sinner. You tell little lies because you're a And all of those things are wrong. And they all have to be punished. And just like mommy and daddy have to punish you for telling lies, one day God will have to punish you because of your sin. But God is so good to us, He doesn't want to do that. Instead, He gave Jesus, God Himself, to be punished for us. He, he took the spanking for us. All of the sin, all of the things we did wrong, He put on Himself. And you know why He did that? Because He loves you, and He wants to give you what you could never have, and that is a perfect heart. And if you trust Him as your Savior and believe on Him for eternal life, that's exactly what He will do for you. And this is what she taught this child since he was in the womb. She prayed for him. You are the son of my vow. What a lesson for us today. We as parents, spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, earthly mothers, our number one concern for our children's life should be their spiritual life. Stop worrying so much about the physical and all of where they're going to go to college and all that. Stop worrying about that. Worry about their heart. Pray for them every day. Pray that they'll get saved. Pray that they'll have a godly spouse, somebody who they can grow up and marry. Pray that they'll have good friends who come around them. Do you know how important that is? And I'm sure this mother prayed, and I'm sure she ran a few kids out because they were mean. She was more concerned about the spiritual life than she was the physical. There's a second lesson we learn, and that's this. She taught him that life is about serving others, not satisfying yourself. Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. We, are, we live in a, a society of paganism. What does that mean? That means it's all about us. What, what makes me happy? My dreams, my aspirations, my this, my that. This mother taught her son, you will never find pleasure trying to satisfy yourself. You will search high and low. You will get everything you can get. And you'll never find pleasure filling your own coffers and satisfying your own passions and desires. She was teaching this king, this young man, ever since he was a child that the number one thing in life is to speak up and serve others, not you. I could go into great detail here about how kings would go and ruin the lives of a bunch of women. Once they slept with them in the ancient east, that woman was marked and she may never come back before the king again. Did you know that? Unless he called for her. And when you read the book of Esther, that's exactly what you're reading. They live their life for a one-night rendezvous. And she told him, don't you do that. Can you imagine the lives of these young women and other people? Stop that. Life is not about serving your fantasy. Life is about serving other people and helping them know God better. She taught him a third lesson, and that was this. Every decision has consequences. Every decision has consequences. Now, can't you see mom sitting down? 
all the way since he was a little kid telling him, now, now I'm going to let you realize that sin has teeth. I, I'm not going to be the helicopter mom that flies around and every time you touch something, oh, no, honey, you can't do that. Oh, you shouldn't do that. No. I'm going to tell you once, don't put your finger on that mousetrap. Because if you push down on that little lever, that thing's going to come back and it's going to hurt your little fingers. And he goes over and he looks. And he's getting ready to touch. And, and she's going, mm-mm, mm-mm. And he, ah, oh! Now she's going to say, I told you. Now, come here and let me kiss the boo-boo. Pull the mousetrap off and she'll kiss his little finger. And she'll say, now you remember... When mommy tells you that this is going to hurt, it's going to hurt. And this little boy grew up through his life and he realized that bad decisions bring bad consequences. You know, these are some valuable lessons and I could stand up here all day and give you illustrations from my working career of people who, who made decisions, even little ones, that ultimately led to big decisions. And by the way, somebody said there is no such thing as an unimportant decision. But every decision has consequences. The fourth lesson this mother taught was we should fear God more than we should fear man. We should fear God more than we should fear man. She told him, you know, can you imagine this? You are going to be a high political figure. If you avoid all of these pleasures of life and all of these addictive things, you're not going to fit in with society. You ever heard a congressman up in Washington, D.C. that don't drink? They said they, they feel like they're in a different world when they go up there and they don't booze and they don't do all kinds of wild and crazy things in D.C. Just listen to a few of them. And this mom knew she was setting this her young son up for ostracization. He would not fit in the crowd. She also knew that if he spoke up for the poor and he didn't honor the rich, what was going to happen? Well, he was going to be viewed upon with not very much favor. And she was actually training her son, you are to stand out in society as a firebrand. You are to honor God more than you are to fear man. And when it comes between standing for God or standing with man, you choose God, honey. She was passionate. Where are moms today that instill in the lives of children, fear God, do not fear man. If you remember in Proverbs, what does it say the fear of man brings? A snare. You know what a snare used to do? You sneak around, you know, and you finally step in this now. Catch you up in the air and you're gone. You fear man. You tiptoe around man and don't fear God. You'll get caught in a snare. It'll end up taking your career and your life. And life's too short to do that. And she taught him a fifth lesson, and that was this. Don't just warn. Don't just tell people what's wrong in life. You should also guide. You notice what she's doing here? You know, sometimes as parents, all we do is this. You shouldn't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. She's teaching him by example here. I'm going to tell you what's right and what's wrong. But when I tell you what's wrong, 
Let me help guide you in what to do. Notice how she did it. Don't do this. Don't do that. Do do this. She was willing to give some stern advice. Now, there's five lessons. Amen and amen. And you all say amen, but I'm not done yet. Because I want to share with you a quick story of a woman who illustrates this. And I'll do it fast. Susanna Wesley is known as the mother of Methodism. How many of y'all have heard of the Methodist Church? Well, the Methodist Church came largely from two men, John and Charles Wesley, from over in England. And people don't know it, but their mother, Susanna, is the one who actually helped found and give them the reason for the name of Methodism. That was not what they wanted to call themselves, Methodists. They were called that because they were so regiment in a routine. They did this, then this, then this, then this. And the people began to watch them and say, they can't alter anything. They can't pray before they do this or this before they do that. They just do the same thing over and over. They're, they're Methodists. And it stuck. Do you know why they were Methodists? Because their mother instilled it in their character. Now let me give you a little quick story about their mother. She was the last of 25 children born in England into a pastor's home during a time of darkness and debauchery. People said that England was the darkest in that period of history that it has ever been. And here was Susanna Wesley born number 25 in a pastor's family. Her dad was a very educated man, had a large library, and thought that his daughters should be educated just like sons. During that time, girls were not given an education. But this pastor felt like his daughter should, and so he trained her in Hebrew, Greek, Latin, poetry, the classics, and all types of different literature, and her education came from her father's library. When she was 13 years old, her husband, whose name was Samuel, the same as that of her father, was being mentored by her dad. He came in the home. He was 19. She was 13. She fell in love with him. Guess what happened? She married him. Eee. This might turn out to be a pain. Lesson to all parents, just because someone graduates with a PhD from Harvard or Oxford or Yale or Princeton or some major school doesn't mean they're going to be a good husband. You can have a real good degree or a real good job or a real good salary and you might make a rotten husband. And that's exactly what happened. She married this young man. Later on, found out that he was actually just there for prestige and a name. He was a contrary man. Later on in life, he didn't pay his bills. He got put in debtor's prison several times. And one night, he was praying over whether he should be a Republican or a Democrat. And by the way, Suzanne was different than him. She had a different political turn. And when he prayed for his political party and she didn't say amen, her husband left her for five and a half months with all of her kids. Susanna had a tough life. Tough life. But she married this preacher and she gave birth to 19 kids. 
There is some discrepancy whether nine or ten lived, but here's the point. Half died. It was a terrible time to try to bring children into the world. She decided when they were age five, she would formally educate them. And she did. Daughters as well as boys. She taught them Hebrew, Greek, Latin, poetry, the classics, history, and music. And all nine children got the same education. She made them get up every morning at six, and she made them go to bed at night at eight. And she would make them read their Bible the last hour of the night so that they could have their hearts right with God. Now, the interesting thing is, is she did not want her children to become educated ruffians, so she taught them manners, obedience, and structure. And she had many rules, but here are just a few. Number one, no sinful act should pass without punishment. Number two, no child should be punished twice for the same fault. Number three, promises are to be strictly enforced and observed. Number four, teach children to fear the rod. Number five, eating between meals is not allowed. Number six, they are to be taught to pray as soon as they can speak. Number seven, give them nothing they cry for but only what they can ask for politely. Number eight, any intention toward obedience, even if the performance was not as well as it should have been, is to be accepted and encouraged. She had 16. I'll stop there. The point was, she was a very rigorous and structured lady. The story was told that she had so many children around her that she wanted to dedicate one hour a week to them, so each child got one hour a week where she would sit down and get into their world. However, there was nowhere to escape. Can you all imagine nine kids in a small hut? So she taught her children that her hiding place was under her apron. And when they saw Mommy sitting down in the floor with her apron up over her head, she was not to be disturbed. We could call her Superwoman because her apron was her cape. But Susanna Wesley, it is told, as rigorous as she was, listen to this carefully, she was a very good moral lady. One biographer said she probably did not come to saving faith in Jesus until after all of her children were raised. She did not understand the saving grace of the gospel. Now, that's debated. We don't know that, but we do know that she was very regimented. But later in her life, she totally came to understand the grace of God through the person of Jesus Christ and what that meant. We could stop there and show all the glamours of Susanna Wesley, but let me help you a little bit this morning. Any moms here that have children who are runaways? They don't serve Jesus. They run from the faith. Do you think that that makes you a failure? Can I help you just for a moment? Let me help you. Susanna Wesley had 19 children. Nine or ten lived. Of those nine or ten, two walked with Jesus and the rest walked away. Now those are oftentimes sides that we don't hear, but they are true. So what is the lesson out of all of that? The lesson is our children are only ours for a short period of time. Ultimately, they belong to Jesus. Never, ever, ever quit praying, speaking truth, 
and speaking life to your children, no matter how big or how old they get, you are still their mother. Father, in Jesus' name this morning, we want to thank you for each mom here. I pray you would empower them with your spirit to do what you have called them to do from the cradle to the grave. Thank you, Father, for the statement that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. We believe that, and we believe that the home was something you founded, you established, you ordained, and that you use even today when people are trying to destroy it. I pray that you would give our mothers, our women, whether they're spiritual mothers, adoptive mothers, I pray that you give them steel spines where they would fear no man. Just like the Hebrew women, they did not fear the king, they did fear God. Give them wisdom, help them know when to speak, what to share. But, oh God, most of all, we thank you for them. And we pray for them today. And we pray that anyone here that doesn't know Christ as their personal Savior will listen to the words of this woman and they will come to accept him as Savior today. Thank you for our moms. I thank you for my mom. I pray you'll bless her today. And I thank you for the mother of my children that you'll bless her and every mother here as we sang earlier. May your face shine upon them and be gracious to them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.